Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Pagans Tonight Radio Network, the voice of the pagan world. Pagans Tonight is sponsored by WitchSchool.com, your anyone, anytime, anywhere magical education. And I'm so grateful that you're back for another Pagans, uh, Pagans Tonight show, which is, of course, the Ed the Pagan Show, which is me, Ed the Pagan. As we're out there exploring the world as we can in a way that only we can because we love our community. And as you know, we're committed to this year-long quest into getting content and preparing for the next level of our communication in this decade. Because we overestimate what we can do in a year and we underestimate what we can do in a decade. And, of course, this is show Peggy's Night Session 3103. And tonight we're going to be bringing you a very special guest, uh, never before brought on the air, as far as I know, Gregory Michael Brewer. Uh, the Ancient Magic of Trees is his latest book. But not only that, but he's been a practicing Wiccan for at least 25 years. And um, he's done a number of things, and he's, he's right out there in the Midwest doing a, doing a great things. And so we're excited to have him. And uh, let me, uh, is it Gregory? Is that how you do it? Um, are you there? There you go. Yeah, I prefer Gregory. Okay. Well, we prefer to call people by what they'd like to be called. Um, and so, basically, um, so I'm so welcome to have you. And I'm, I'm, I, I saw that you, you, know, you were talking about your latest book, which is Ancient Magic of Trees, which has become a really uh, important subject, I think, um, because everybody's been talking about the uh, World Wide Web of Trees. There's been a lot of talk about how trees communicate. Indeed. So. So, well, we'll go ahead and get started. Um, so I always ask people how, and uh, I think this is a, an important question, how did you get to here? I mean, how did you get to write a book about magical trees, the magic of trees? I mean, something okay, well, might be a long path. Yeah, and that's a great question. Uh, see, what had happened was, man, it must have been at least 10 years ago, longer than that, actually, probably closer to 20 years ago. I was... Uh, Studying with a local Wiccan group, teaching group, uh, prior to the one that I currently teach. And we had been discussing the Wiccan Read. And as, as you know, it mentions in the Wiccan Read uh, something along the lines of uh, nine sacred trees in the fire go, but uh, do not burn the elder's tree or curse you'll be, something along those lines. And... Uh, I got to wondering, why are there only nine sacred trees? And what exactly are those nine? And so I found out, you know, that there's an extended poetic uh, version of the, or more poetic, should I say, uh, version of the Wiccan Read, longer than the standard 26-line version. And it included Mm -hmm. what nine those are, what, what nine trees they are. And so I set out to go find them and realized, well, I've got to learn how to identify these trees. And here where I live, there's two major universities, and each of them have an arboretum, uh, in particular Phil Arboretum, which is recognized statewide, has every single tree identified and labeled on the campus. And so I found, quite, I found most of those trees, and then I just got so much more enraptured, I guess, or 
enthusiastic about the study of trees that I wanted to know more, learn more, go way beyond those nine. I wanted to know how to identify every single tree that I can find walking down the street. And so I ended up buying various field guides to trees and thinking, hmm, what about the magical properties? So then I had to buy several different books to cover that. And then, okay, what about the mythology? What about the lore? What about the symbolism and the history of trees throughout various other cultures? And then I had to get other ones. And the only books I could really find on the topic as far as uh, occult books go were trees or books covering trees such as Celtic tree mysteries or the Druids. And uh, I ended up finding myself surrounded by stacks of books in my room going, now, why do I need all these books to really study the trees? Why isn't there just one book that has all of that in there? Maybe a condensed version or so. And so I said, you know what? I guess I'm going to have to write one. And so I went out and chose about 150 trees and looked them up to make sure they were native to North America and Europe. Which ones were the more common? That is, mm-hmm. say, and uh, took the pictures of the bark. I took photographs of the leaves, photographs of the berries, uh, the fruit, excuse me, and the nuts, and uh, decided that I should include all of those in this book that I plan to write at some point in time. So I did years of field work. And then began researching the mythology of trees. What did they mean to the people of the Aztecs and the Mayans? What did the trees mean to the Egyptians? What trees mean to, and we already know, I mean, there was already enough information out there about the Celts, but Mm -hmm. what about the Japanese and other people? And what what did the trees say in the, what were the trees in the Bible? What What was the symbolism all across these various uh, cultures of antiquity And so I ended up spending another year Reading and studying all of that And began to compile them All into this one book And then Llewellyn's of course wanted me to Cut it down to a hundred trees And convert the pictures to, to drawings And so That gave birth to the book And that means You've got plenty of material for sequels And eventually more, oh, yeah. absolutely. absolutely. So that's always the good news about doing that deep research is that we we can see more of it. And and I, what I can tell, your book is doing well. I see a lot of people are, you're getting some really great reviews. And anyone out there who really wants a real look at magical trees and don't want to do this massive amount of research, this is a really great source. Hmm? Um, absolutely. But before we get and before that, you've been so I was looking at so. We've met before, and people know that uh, I always—it's always very fascinating to me, because um, my sort of thing is that I this recently. Oh, let me go ahead and back up. So, one of the things I think that caught my interest this time when I saw your book is that for about the last year, it's been coming out in a lot more news about mycelium and uh, tree tree talking, and sort of this idea that trees talk with each other, trees sharing. The idea of the underground world of roots and now trees basically are showing similar communication systems as the World Wide Web. 
and uh, but much more ancient. Mm-hmm. And I, I know yes. that's come into to people's ideology, and so so people are starting to realize trees are more intelligent, and so your book seems to be very timely to that to that factor. Can you talk a little bit about that? What you've learned about it? Have you? You know, I've noticed that in your book you talk about it, but this idea of the trees having communion with each other and with us then. Well, yeah. I I remember I watched a a talk by a professor, I forget his name at the moment, mm-hmm. uh, who did a study on tree intelligence and plant intelligence, who did a whole presentation that was discussing the fact that, yeah, actually, we've science has discovered that trees do have sensing abilities, they're able to detect if someone is approaching them. And uh, you know, another way that trees are, it is known that trees have intelligence besides the fact that they're able to have sensing and communication with each other is that, you know, they move. Although we don't, on their own, not just because the wind is blowing, etc. But we know that the trees actually do change their course by facing the sun as it rises, you know, in order to absorb the rays that they need to mm-hmm. create green green life on each branch. And one, I think it was Charles Darwin who gave a few definitions of what is needed to be technically called intelligence, and movement was one of them. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't have the entire study memorized because this was years back. Oh, sure. No problem. I, no, absolutely. I understand that. So it's become – we're becoming aware of that, that that thought. And so so this book is very good. So I notice it does a lot with the spirit of trees. I mean the idea of their energy and their magic. I think that's very interesting. But let's back up. So you, so this is the latest thing you've done. But you, you are, as an individual, you've been a Wiccan, I guess, for more than 25 years. I uh, yes. you mentioned that, and one of the things I found fascinating, and I, I you know, I, I looked it up, is that you, one of the things I thought you were you were part of the Pagan Pride Project for a long time, on the worldwide level, yep. as board of directors. Indeed. And that's one of the, and that is one of the things I think that has moved the world. I think, because um, in the late '90s and the early 2000s, I was doing things like Pagan Expo, and uh, I remember the birth. I was uh, one of the two groups out of Chicago who did some of the early Pagan Pride events. And uh, as you know, our system, we support Pagan Pride. That must have been very interesting work because it was pretty much earlier in the process. Hmm. Yeah, I came along a bit later. I My first Pagan mm-hmm. Pride that I visited was in 2008 when uh, Paulette Reynolds was leading Chicago Pagan Pride Day on the south side. Mm-hmm. I hadn't... Uh, I hadn't been aware of the Pagan Pride Project prior to, mm-hmm. and so I took I went there with my group, the, the group that I teach, and we decided, hey, we want to go back again next year, the following years, and so then uh, in 2009, Paulette had moved it to the uh, a larger area where in Oak Park, which is the grounds of the a historic Pleasant Home, I believe it was called. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, in in Oak Park, and so yeah, I went there and I did a workshop, and our group had a vending booth, and then she decided that she was going to resign or 
primarily because she was moving to Texas. And so Maria Alioto took over the event. Mm-hmm. And she asked me to she asked me to co coordinate with her and so I said, Oh, okay, sure. I mean I live in Bloomington, which is a couple hours away, but uh, I think I can do this. I'd be honored to do it. And so I co-coordinated with her for one year, and then she resigned. And uh, Paulette was still serving as the regional coordinator at the time, overseeing the all the Pagan Pride Days that happened in six states in the upper Midwest region. And she said, hey, do you want to – take over the Chicago Pagan Pride altogether. And I said, oh, well, that sounds like a really daunting task. And especially since I live two and a half hours away, but I, again, decided I would go ahead and do that. And so I mm-hmm. ran I ran the event for a couple of years and mm-hmm. asked Twyla York, I asked Twyla York, to, hey, would you co-coordinate with me? Because I had worked with her with Maria and thought that Twyla was mm-hmm. pretty amazing. And so Twyla and I worked together for a few years. And during that time, I became the, or Paulette stepped away from being the regional. And so uh, she nominated me to take her place and the board. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so I did that for almost seven years. And that was a great experience. I loved every bit of it. It was fun to be able to meet pagans from all over the the Midwest, and to be able yeah. to learn their perspectives on paganism, et cetera. It was very interesting. But eventually, yeah, I had I to leave. Yeah. And, and obviously, that and, and, and everything had a time, because I remember uh, back in 2003, because uh, me and Lisa Tillett did the first one out of DePaul University two years in a row. That was our first two years, and then we moved down to Houston. So I remember it's always you know been very fascinating. Chicago's always been like the support, uh, one of the front runners in the Pagan Pride movement. So that was interesting. I mean, so that I think Pagan Pride is one of those events. So thank you for your service. I, I think our community has really benefited by having that happen in our community. Hmm. Um, and so, so I was noticing. So, um, and so you did that. But so, so you're practicing Wicca. When did you get started with Wicca? Well, do you want the long version or a quick version? No, you can tell us. I mean, we're you know we're here. I mean, people are here listening. I mean, a lot of uh, people who listen to the show a lot, you know. So we get you know everybody from very seasoned people to a lot of people who may be hearing this story for the first time. So please, you know, just take your time. I always ask to sure. start at the beginning. Okay, sure. So yeah. Well, okay, like many other practitioners, not all, but. Quite a few others, at least that I've come in contact with. I was raised in a Christian home. All of my family are very devout Christians. And and I was, too. I had accepted Jesus as a teenager. But I do remember being 10 years old and going to the school library, and I checked out this book about palm reading. And I brought it home to my dad, and I said, hey, dad, look at this. This looks really interesting. And, of course, he told me, that, well, that's of the devil, and you need to take it back. And so I did as he asked, and I returned the book immediately. But I still remained really curious, really interested. And moving along, I remember being 16 years old and going to to the bookstore, even though I was still 
a Christian and telling my high school friends about Jesus. I remember going to a local bookstore and going to the New Age section, which I did again and again. And I got my first deck of tarot cards. And I thought they were just fascinating, though I didn't know how to use them. But uh, I, I tried messing around with them a little while. But then eventually I thought, well, you know what? I think I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing. And I got rid of them. But eventually I found myself being 19 years old. And I had moved out. And I had freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't living with my family anymore. And I could basically do what I wanted. And I was working third shift at that time at a steak and shake restaurant. And this customer kept coming in regularly and sitting at one of the tables and reading tarot cards. And being third shift, I had a lot of extra time because it wasn't that busy. And so I sat down at a table and had him read my cards. And what he said was absolutely accurate. I just couldn't even believe it. And I expressed interest uh, to him in learning how to read the cards. And he agreed that he would teach me. And then I don't know how I got around to this, but I eventually told him, you know what? I'm actually really interested in his witchcraft. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, it just happens that I can teach you that too. So we did form a friendship and I started meeting with him outside of, outside of work and ended up bringing a couple other friends along with me. And we all kind of studied together. I never ended up, ended up learning tarot cards under him, but witchcraft, yes. And he didn't teach me Wicca. Yeah, he he wasn't teaching me Wicca. He was teaching me witchcraft with no ethics. Basically, use magic to get whatever you want. Do whatever you want. And I remember the first form of candle magic that he taught me to do was I was angry with my boss at the time. (laughs) Keep in mind, I was 19 at this moment. But uh, I was angry with my boss, and so we went out to this little lake nearby at nighttime and brought a candle and he showed me a few techniques and we used the candle to make him sick. And then it just happens to be a week later, I go to work and my mm-hmm. boss had called in sick, couldn't show up for three days in a row because he had come down with such a terrible flu. And so that was my first taste of, wow, okay, there's something to this. And as it went, I went a couple years more of studying witchcraft and doing whatever I wanted with it, regardless, no, didn't care about consequences, didn't care what I was doing. I used magic to get whatever I wanted, and it was very selfish. And again, I realized, you know, I think I'm doing something wrong, something I should not be doing. Mm -hmm. And so I got rid of everything. I burned all my books. And in my early 20s, found myself getting back in church. But then I just didn't, I think I was only going back for like maybe six months because I just didn't feel, it didn't feel right for me. I didn't feel like being in church was my calling. And so I went a couple mm-hmm. of years without any any type of spirituality. I'm like, all right, well then if I'm not, I'm not happy going to church and I'm not happy doing this witchcraft kind of thing. I'll just do none of it. 
but then I get I got older. I grew up, and I'm finding myself 29, 29-ish years old, and I had a little bit of maturity under my belt and life experience, and went outside one summer evening, and the sun had set. The moon was out. I don't remember what moon phase it was, but I saw the moon, and you could just feel all the energy from the trees, and the crickets were piping, and I started thinking about Wicca again. I'm like, or witchcraft, but and I had I knew what Wicca was, although I hadn't studied that. I had just studied the craft, but I I was started thinking about Wicca, and I felt this voice inside of me saying, and it felt like a gentle feminine type of voice saying, ah, now you're ready. And I took that as now I'm ready to really learn. And so from that point, I started studying Wicca, bought books back again, and I haven't stopped since, and this is over. That at this, I'm 47 now, so that was when I was in my late 20s. And I joined a group and then ended up leaving that group and joined my – or formed my own group and became initiated into the third degree. Mm-hmm. And that's it. I'm still going. <laughs> and you're still going. And, uh, and and there you go. And then, and, and then you studied a pretty – and then you get back into studying everything else. And, and I see now you're still doing – that you founded a basically um, – You've given lectures. I noticed that you said that you give lectures at Illinois State University and Heartland and uh, community colleges, and uh, yes, and that um, that you're the founder of the Circle of the Spirit Tree Study Group and Coven. So you're still at it. It must be very interesting. So does it as a coven? Is it a uh, coven that does really work with trees more often because of the study, or is it just uh, is, is that you know because of your passion? Um, could you repeat the question, please? Oh, I'm, um, I was saying that um, basically you're, I saw that you're the founder of the circle of spirit tree, yes. covenant spirit. And does it have a particular tree focus, or is it just a, a more traditional Oh, okay. Um, it's, well, it's – I wouldn't call it a tree. It's definitely not based and focused on trees. It is okay. – I wouldn't say it's traditional either. Uh, very eclectic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have an education system that has taken years to develop, and we still revise it up to this day. Uh, we have initiate degree, which takes people generally about a year to get through. Sometimes it takes people longer, a few years, uh, which we call mm-hmm. first degree. And that covers – that's like Wicca 101 and Witchcraft 101, but we do have uh, some emphasis on ethics. And mm-hmm. – each time, each member takes a lesson that we present in, in class, and they're given a homework that they must complete on their own so that they kind of internalize the work. And, and it's also a kind of a way that we can check to make sure that they understood and grasped the material. And so they come back and they report the homework in front of the group, and then they get marked off for that lesson. So once they complete the first degree, they can move on to second degree. Mm-hmm. And our, our second degree is divided into four additional degrees based on the elements. So we have earth degree, 
fire degree, air mm-hmm. degree, water degree. And if they make it through all of those, which takes generally three to five years, although it has taken some members over ten, uh, if they make it through those, they can be initiated into third degree if they choose to. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's, I guess, it, more traditional, but not not really. It's quite eclectic. We include elements of ceremonial magic, Wicca, witchcraft, uh, various systems. And, you know, mm-hmm. it gives you an all-around all around education. We know we like people to if they make it into third degree and then end up going, moving or going to some other group, they can say that mm-hmm. if they graduated from our group that they know their material, they know what they're talking about because we trained them well. So that's what our group does. Okay, that that sounds like a, a lot of energy. And if somebody wants to join your group, is there a way to do that? We're um, an in-person group only. We do not do online okay. classes or online sessions. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. we're in we're in person. Everyone becomes quite familiar with each other, and we all, okay. we also of course celebrate the Sabbaths together. Sometimes moon celebrations, the Esbets. But yeah, and it's a lot of fun. Well, all right. So okay, so let's go ahead and get back to your book, so that we can find a little bit more about your history, and so. I know one of the big things about trees. So I've, unfortunately, I've cut down a lot of trees because I'm, I've, you know, I've, I've been a worm farmer for a number of years, um, and cleared fields and everything. I always felt bad about cutting down trees. They were like, you, you guys are there, but unfortunately, we were, you know, raising worms and and kind of knocked those things down. But I also know that one of the things I think about trees when we think about it is that one of the things you see a lot of it is that when people talk about the magical uh, uh, trees, about these sort of ideas of it, they talk about, you know, branches and getting wands, especially the number one thing is about it, trees is wands. People want staffs and wands. And they said, oh, no, yeah. you have to wait for the branches to fall off or you should, you know, wait for, you know, find it, you know, elsewhere. <laughs> so what's a little bit about that idea that you should just wait until it, um, you know, should you, you know, how how do you, if you go to a tree, like, um, and what trees are the best for it, but if you want to get a wand or a, a staff from a tree, what's the best way of doing that? Well, you know, many people have differing opinions on this, on the matter. I, I disagree mm-hmm. with the fact that you have to wait for a branch to fall. And, and oftentimes, if you find a branch that's fallen, number one, you may not know what kind of wood it is. Number two, it may be rotted. It may have termites, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It may not be a good specimen to use all around. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, granted, in the practice of Wicca or any type of magical system where you cast a circle, et cetera, you could or do invoking banishing pentagrams in the air or whatever else you might use a wand for multiple it has multiple purposes. You, of course, don't need one at all. You could use your finger. Some people use the orthami, but if you're going to use a wand, yes, you can just pick up any old stick off the ground. It's going to conduct that energy because you're doing a lot of that through visualization anyways. But mm-hmm. but I always suggest to people that you should, I mean, if you really want a good working magical staff, a wand, 
you should look up what you want to or know what you're going to use it for and then find a tree that has the same properties and then get that particular kind of wood. Let's say, for example, mm-hmm. if you're going to be using, you want to be using a a piece of wand to make a wood that's good for love or healing, et cetera, then you might want apple wood. And if you're using something for banishing or protection, you might want to make it out of pine. And so I tell people, you know, you might not be able to go out there and identify a branch if you pick it up. How do you know what tree that is? Yeah, I mean, you could sit there and wait for one to fall. Uh, and mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, a good a good thing to do is if, if you want a fresh piece and you don't want to cut it yourself, you can wait for a storm to come along. I know that in my backyard, I've got a whole bunch of old trees. And every time there's a storm, it knocks a bunch of the branches down. Now, it, it that's a good way to go pick up the tree and give it some respect by showing that, hey, you know, I'll make use of this branch that, didn't survive through the storm. Mm-hmm. But I don't see anything wrong really with going and cutting a piece down as long as you do it with reverence mm-hmm. and do it with respect. You know, tell the tree why, what you're doing. Give it thanks afterwards. Give it some healing. Send it some healing energy and love afterwards. Uh, maybe offer it some type of fertilizer or water it, whatever. Give it some type of a gift. After you've taken from it, and then of course you're gonna want that branch to dry for about six months before you uh, work with it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't, I don't think it's necessary by any means to wait for a branch to fall. And like I said, I gave you reasons why. So. I don't know. What What do you think? What are you, What are your opinions on that? Oh, so I, I basically I always tell people that um, I leave it to the experts because that's one thing. So. I buy my wands. I'll be honest. I'm, I'm a crap. I, mean, I don't make them, so I end up buying them from people for various reasons. Or I get them gifted. Um, everything. I've had all sorts of wands in my life. As people know, I'm a, I'm a pass-through collector, so things that get into my hands end up in other people's hands. Um, oh yeah. Um. So I always like. Uh, so I always kind of mention that. Cool. You know that that it is one of those things. That's why I love doing radio and exploring because. I'm going to find out this year, too, about it. Um, I've had people make all kinds of it. I mean, I've seen Oberon's staff that he's made, and that was carved mm. from something. And he, he actually, they actually, somebody got it for him, and he carved out, and it's been beautiful branches. So I've seen it all different oh, yeah. ways, and I've had different branches. Um, in Salem, they actually have a Hogwarts shop, and obviously they're cutting that wood because it's, they're all pretty uniform. So Okay. So my, I'm I'm an open person. I'm like like I'm like my audience. I'm I'm still trying to decide on all of that. I think what you works are. for you is huh? But I do think yeah, what I was, works I was, for you is what. Go ahead. Exactly. No, I I agree with that. So. Uh, um, but yeah. I, so what other ways? I personally can have people... a large cut. I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, go go. I was just saying that I personally have a large collection of wands. I've got several different wands that I'll use for various different things, just knowing that different woods contain different magical properties. I also have made, man, at least 50 of them myself, four other people. I'll carve them and uh, dry them and whatever. 
but I, I was going to say. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. You, you ask people. Yeah, I asked people, you know, what kind of uh, workings are you going to be doing with the wand and what types of designs would you like on them? Are, are there any particular colors that are uh, that you prefer, lean towards? Because I'll, I'll, I, I paint mm-hmm. them and I design them and I wood burn them. And I take a long time to design each one. And so I do think it's important that if you're going to use a wand, that you know what ty- type of wood, what type of tree you're using. That was all I was going to add. That makes good sense, and that's one of the reasons why you have your book is going to be useful because your book has a number of different you know properties of the wood so that they can figure it out what they have. Um, so what are some other ways people can work with trees? I mean, so the other thing that I think that everybody wants to hear and people will be talking about is this idea of tree hugging. Um, you know, hugging trees. I know a lot of people talk about it. Is there any real value in hugging a tree, or is it just kind of one of those things they tell the hippies? <laughs> okay, I believe yes. I can I can tell you so many stories. I, uh, one in particular is that there is a tree in my yard that's been here for well over 150 years. It's huge. It's a sugar maple. In about five years back. The tree had some type of disease. It looked like it was dying. The leaves were starting to wither. We did not know what was wrong with it. And several members from my group and myself went out to the tree. We surrounded it. We talked to it. I mean, this isn't literally tree hugging. We didn't go and actually hug the tree, but basically the same idea. And we we gave the tree love and blessings and wished it well-being and... The next year it came back, it's fully recovered, and it hasn't had a problem since. Uh, Another thing that could be useful with tree hugging, literally this time, is if you have some type of stress or anger or jealousy built up inside of you or even physical sickness, you could go hug a tree. And now this might sound unethical at first, but Mm -hmm. imagine that stress or that anger or that sickness, that illness, transferring from yourself, moving into the tree, in through, in through the bark, and uh, letting the tree take that from you, which I call tree absorbing. And mm-hmm. it, sounds, it sounds unethical because it sounds like, oh, man, you're making that tree sick, or oh, man, you're giving all this negative energy to the tree. But in fact, that's not going to be what happens. The tree will release that negativity or the that harm out through its leaves and out into the down into the soil below where it transforms into a positive energy basically the tree recycles that and you feel better the environment is benefited from it uh, and that you just formed a friendship with the tree so i do believe that uh, tree hugging well, it has multiple purposes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes trees just oh, like to a- know that, hey, someone's there. We care. Some trees are more talkative and friendly than others, and some actually do like it when you interact with them, and they appreciate that, you know? Mm-hmm. I can see that. I mean, um, well, it is the idea that trees are probably the one thing in our lives that I've seen over and over again, people who, especially country folk, I mean, it's it's the one thing, so there's the old Chinese statement, 
and it's gone various ways. But it says if you want to be happy for a year, grow rice. If you want to be happy for a decade, grow trees. Um, and if you want to be happy for a century, grow people. But the idea that you plant trees for the long term, I mean, things like walnut trees. I mean, farmers who grow walnut farms have got to take a big act of faith because that's five, eight, ten years before you see the fruit. Um, yeah. It's true of almost all trees. I mean, so yeah, trees, exactly. unlike, because trees, unlike regular farming, you know, most farming is done in the year. You you plant in the spring and you harvest in the fall. And there's a couple like asparagus that take two or three years. But trees, some trees like black walnut can take a decade or more before they're actually mature enough to be useful. Yes, and the ginkgo biloba is one of those. I think it's maybe a couple decades before you get a return. Mm-hmm. And so it could be true. I, I don't know enough about tree, but I do know that that – I have people who do peach trees. I know um, farmer uh, farmer Brown, Mark Brown, down in um, that has been planting, and he's finally getting peaches from his trees. But it's, it's like four, five, six years. So trees represent a real investment in nature. And so yeah. I think that's one of the things I think that people don't understand, um, just how important that aspect is. Um, Absolutely. People are always talking about – go ahead. Please. No, I was I was just going to say, of course, you could go to a nursery and buy ones that are already well along their way and kind of cut the time. <laughs> oh, sure. I mean, we're human beings. We we can do, time is important to us. Um, I just recently read an article, a, read a statement that gets me all right now. Now I'm finally understanding. It says, you know, old men understand understand, you know, to to be wise is to plant trees you'll never see the shade of. Um, the idea of long-term growth. So that's the other side of trees. So let me offer that. So, I mean, you've got some really old trees in the world right now. Some really old mm-hmm. trees. We're starting to realize them. Uh, sequoias, which are, you know, the, the monsters, you know, the monstrous large trees. Um, Bilboa trees out there. And there's, like, frankincense trees. And there's some trees that are, they're saying are, like, thousands of years old. Uh, you know, and hundreds of years old. And so that represents, I guess, those types of things. While we see them as very inanimate objects, they're really living organisms and living communities, but they also show a lot of wisdom. How would one tap into that wisdom of a tree? I mean, how do they call that spirit? Is there, you know, and, and of course, you can look it at your book. Hmm? Well, so, yeah. They can always get your book and they have a lot of information there, but. What would be a good way to really tap into the wisdom of a tree? Well, I think, and, and yes, we are definitely seeing some really interesting and fascinating trees that have been here for so long. I mean, now with mm-hmm. the advent of well, of social media, we can share that with each other. You know, hey, look, there's this below mm-hmm. tree that's 5,000 years old, and now we all know about it. Whereas, well, anyways, I think that one one way of Uh, let's say how to access the wisdom of trees. Yeah, how do you you know? Would people be, always want to you know. Right. Well, I mean, to begin with, I, you know, getting any kind of wisdom comes comes with your own age and your own time. But sure. I would say studying the tree itself, getting to know 
what are its own properties? When does it shed its fruits? Does it have fruits that are edible? Does it have fruits that are non-edible? What does its bark look like? What do, what do its mm-hmm. flowers look like? When do they bloom? Know all the individual properties, but also take your time to realize what does the tree itself symbolize, any, any type of tree. What, what does a tree mean? What has the tree meant throughout antiquity? What does the tree mean now? You know, we know that it has roots that reach deep down into the earth, a trunk that we can all go touch, we can hug, and then branches that reach up towards the heavens, reaching towards the sun. What does that symbolize? What does that mean? What is a tree regarding our own spiritual practice? What does it mean to us? And I think that by learning that aspect, studying that, may you begin to tap into the wisdom of a tree. And, of course, I talk about what the tree might represent in my book. But to summarize that, mm-hmm. I, I, I believe that trees represent our connection with the divine. You know? That makes sense. Absolutely. I can see I that. I mean, I... too much of it because I've spelled it all out quite lengthily in my book. <laughs> And, of course, that's what we're trying to do is get people interested because I think this is a book I think that people are going to find a lot of value for. I think I think that one of the things as nature worshipers, as just using that word lightly or you know, people who honor nature, I think there's not as much knowledge about trees. Um, you know, the soul, you know, that, that trees, that they need to learn more about them and understand them and everything else. So where can they find your book? Well, you can get my book at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. I know it's available even through Walmart online pickup and just about any place that sells books online. Some shops carry them locally. uh, Others don't. If you want to cut out the price of the shipping, I would suggest going to a a store and having them order it for you. I just got done actually sending out a little card to over like promotional postcards with the cover, right? Picture of the cover, and uh, I sent those out to over 105 different pagan occult metaphysical bookstores throughout the United States and Canada and Europe. So hopefully there'll be a copy of my book in a local pagan store near you coming in the future, but. If you want to go ahead and pay the shipping costs, then you can order online. Yeah, and I always tell people, please, if you ever can, go to your local, um, go to your local bookstore, and most of them have the capability. Be patient, give them the business, and let them order your books with you. You know, I know you want to get your hands on it, but you know, you can go ahead and get that um, value really fast. So yes, please, please, please. Um, out there and get you know get, go ahead and get those books out there and um so and if you want to you know maybe you should have um uh gregory here come out and, and do lectures for you i mean that sounds like he as you've heard tonight he's a fascinating individual lots of stories more stories we can cover i bet you if you had great stories you know sharing stories out there i bet you 
get you quite a bit. He probably can show you some trees out in the festival. So let him know about that too. Um, I don't know if you you're out there, but you know, you sound like you would be a very interesting person to get into a forest. Hmm? Yeah, I love taking people out and telling them about the trees. Like, hey, look, that's a sycamore. You know why you can tell that's a sycamore? Hey, look, there's a maple. Oh, that's actually a not a maple. That's an oak. And explaining to people the difference. And uh, I often take people out in my group up and down the street here in town and identify. I teach them how to identify over 20, just going two blocks down and back. So I always love to go out and take people on a little field trip, so to mm-hmm. say. Absolutely. So, so we I can do that. Yeah. Absolutely. And so um, check him out. He's on Facebook here. Um, there's a number of ways to probably, so it's out, out there on Facebook. There's a number of ways out there. Check it out. Check out this book. Order it. You know, make sure, you know, writers don't make very much. And, and it, trust me, no one gets, very few people get rich on books, from publishing books. It's really a passion of love and labor. And I'm always grateful to every author who does it. I'm grateful for you to write this book. It's a, it's a, fasc, it's a fascinating read. And, I'm uh, glad you enjoy it. Yep, and so uh, everybody out there, and so um, anything else? So any last bits of wisdom you want to share with the audience? Anything that you think that, we, that you'd like them to know? Uh, we've covered quite a bit. Uh, like you said, you know, like you said, if some if work with what you've got, what I forget exactly what you said, but when it regards to choosing a wand. If it if it feels right for you, if it, then if, if it, you just have a good feeling about it, then go with that. Uh, but yeah, try, and trial I, and error. Absolutely. Go so ahead. no, okay, no, absolutely, I hear you. Um, so yes, I mean, I think that uh, I think that's a, a great thing to do. So, um, and so we see. So you see. So. With that, folks, I think I think I want to thank uh, Mr. Brewer here for being on with us, and I, I really want to share with that um, upcoming next show we're going to be doing. We might do uh, it's going to be with magical incant millennial incantations, a millennial look at uh, the meme world of social media, the other side of this. Um, so, so I do have one last thing. So, one of my most fascinating things I think about tr- about trees is often for my science fiction books. And one of the biggest things they always said was that someday one of the most fascinating things I've ever heard of is that we're going to grow our grow our spaceships. Uh, I always found that fascinating, that the idea of trees, sentient trees as spaceships. Uh, like, you know, that, that idea that, that someday we're going to take them into space with us. I always thought that was a fun idea, too. Mm, yeah. Yeah, so that's... Uh, and... and- and a necessary idea. I mean, we're going to have to go somewhere, somewhere else. We're going to, you know, there's not going to be any life anywhere without trees. That's true. And and, and let's you know, let's let's hope you know. Um, that that is the truth to it, isn't it? And everybody says, you know, so remember, folks, one of the things we can do in this world of climate change is to keep protect these trees and keep growing them. And so. I think my board here is acting up. Of course, if my electronics would act up, 
you know, the problem with doing Pagan Wicked shows is that all the different people always talk about, oh, all the electronics and all their problems with electronics. We get that every once in a while. So, yeah. yeah so that, with that, so, but we're going to thank you, and uh, we're going to finish tonight off. Thank you for being on, and we're going to finish tonight off with uh, Brian Hankey's uh, Tree of Life is our final song. Well, thank you, folks, and blessed be, and good night. <laughs>